tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 has any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio Hello. Good morning. Good, good, good. Well, some places it's morning, some places it's not. Isn't that amazing? Where I am, it's definitely not. There you go. Yeah, you people in California get to sleep late. Well, I guess. I'm confused. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit that right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now, and at the hour of our death, amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. You know the one. Bible. All right. We are still in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 1 and following, in which we read, In the second year of King Darius, uh, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Tell this to the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. This is kind of interesting because Zerubbabel was one of the princes of the house of David. And... Uh, Putatively, one of the ancestors of Jesus. Uh, he's included in the genealogies, but that's uh, another chat for another day. But um, And then to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the remnant of the people. In other words, Joshua, son of uh, Jehozadak, was to be the... Uh, uh, oh, let me go back to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Very interestingly, the I, I told you the other day that, that weight of the intellectual life of... of uh, Israel. And at this point, we can begin, I think, to speak historically of the Jews, uh, that, that the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and those members of the tribe of Levi who came back from this exile uh, 600 years before Christ, uh, they came back as as what we would call, and reasonably so, Jews. Now, when we talk about Jews, uh, I think the Jewish people I've known, especially the Orthodox and non-Jewish people, tend to think of a modern-day Orthodox Jew as kind of being exactly the same as uh, someone who lived in Judea 500 years before Christ. Here's 2,500 years of history there and 2,500 years of, of bad blood between Christians and Jews. Not, not all of it. The, uh, the relations of Christians and Jews were, were never cordial after the fall or after the uh, 
last Jewish war, about 130 A.D., um, but there was peace until the Crusades. Uh, so you had those years of history, and that changes a people. And uh, admittedly, the, the people who would call themselves Jews today have been stabilized in their cultural and ethnic life by the law. You know, there's a saying, uh, if you keep Sabbath, the Sabbath will keep you. I've heard that said by Jews, and it's true. Well, still, that said, uh, I really believe that what we call Jewish, Jewishness, really started in the exile in Babylon, where they discovered, uh, in a sense, or invented, perhaps better put, the synagogue, a place you could be Jewish or be an Israelite without a temple. Uh, and, and and in this, I said the other day, were laid the seeds of, of, of the difference between Christianity and Judaism. We both share roots in the religion of Israel, in the temple. But to say that Christianity has its roots in Judaism, I don't think that's exact. Judaism and Christianity share roots in the religion of the temple in Jerusalem. And it's at this point that the religious life of this people really began to be shared between Jerusalem and Babylon. As evidence, the definitive version of the Talmud, which is the the essential book of, of Jewish life, Talmud and Torah are essential. Uh, the Talmud is the interpretation and uh, uh, application uh, of of the law. Uh, uh, so, and I really don't have time to go into uh, what the Talmud is, it's, we don't regard it as Christians, we don't regard it as inspired, but it is very important to Jews. It, it, it creates uh, the Jewish way of life. You really can't be Jewish without the Talmud in some sense. Um, even Reform and conservative Jews, they're kind of Talmudic, <laughs> but again, don't have time to go into that. All that said, um, the, the, the weight of Jewish intellectual life, as I said, really became shared between Jerusalem and, and Babylon. Now, it is interesting that in Babylon, until about 300 years after Christ, into what they call the Gaonic period, the Gaon was, the, was, a, was an intellectual leader in, in the Babylonian Jewish community, but there was always someone called the Exilarch, which is a Greek word meaning uh, uh, leader of the exile. And he was always a descendant of David. There are people who can reasonably trace their background uh, alive today uh, to, to King David. It's, it's a pretty old bloodline. Uh, but that said, uh, the, the uh, Zerubbabel was from this family of David. And uh, he was given the responsibility by the emperor, uh, the Shah of Persia, to, to uh, go back and rebuild the temple. And with him came the high priest, Joshua ben Jehozadak. Well, Joshua built the temple. This is a symbol for us because this, the temple which we are, not to which we go, but which we are, the temple not made by hands, the temple of living stones, the church, was made by Joshua, son of Joseph. Well, Joshua said, yeah, that's what Yeshua means. Yeshua is the Aramaic form of the Hebrew Yehoshua, and Jesus was called by the short form, most probably, Yeshu. Uh, so there you go. There's a symbol there. Boy, it took a lot to drag that out. But um, very interesting. 
he says, the prophet says, who among you saw this house in its former glory? There were a few very, very old people who as children had seen the temple. And how do you see it now? Does it seem like nothing in your eyes? It was shabby compared to the temple built by Solomon. But take courage, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, Joshua, the high priest. Take courage, people, and says the Lord, and work. I'm with you. Uh, thus says the Lord, one moment, yet a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will fill this, I will shake the nations, and the treasures of all nations will come in, and I will fill this house with glory. Mine is the silver, mine the gold. Greater will it be the future glory of this house than the former, says the Lord of hosts. This is this is a word fulfilled, because you see, this shabby temple was rebuilt, not, albeit... Um, not for the best motives, I suspect, uh, was, but it was rebuilt by Herod the Great, and it was considered the most beautiful building in the ancient world. People came from all over to see it. It was a, it was a tourist attraction, and even people who are not Jewish would come to see this this mountain of white stone. And, and Herod had, you know, lower courses were were very expensive marble, but Herod, being clever, the upper courses, which no one could get near and see and touch, uh, they shone like marble, but they were <laughs> made of gypsum. But there was gold leafing everywhere. Everywhere there's gold leafing. And it just, Josephus said that the front doors of the of the inner shrine were polished, were, were, were plated with solid gold, polished so brightly that in the rising sun it hurt to look at them. I mean, this was an amazing building. and But that isn't the end of the prophecy. You see, the glory of this house and the idea that the nations will come in, every Catholic church traditionally is meant to symbolize the Jerusalem temple. You have the holy place and then the holy of holies in which we have the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle. You know, that that the sanctuary is, is, is supposed to be the holy of holies. Now, of course, we've taken out all the communion rails because the, we don't want any divisions between the people and the priest. The communion rail was not a division. It was a symbol of the rail, uh, the boundary of the of the court of the priests in the in the holy place where people came to commune with God. It's a, the communion rail is exactly that, a communion rail. It's supposed to be the place where people come to the Holy of Holies and they meet God. That's the symbolism. But we don't like real symbolism. We, we go for the low-hanging fruit in our society, so we took all the communion rails out, forgetting that they were to be a place of meeting and not a place of separation. So, But that's just my prejudice on it. But every church, every Catholic church was designed to look like this. I, I had a wonderful morning this morning. I, I snuck out and went up to Platteville, Wisconsin, where I went and saw St. Augustine Church, which is on uh, on the campus, near, well, next to the campus of, I think it's University of Wisconsin. And uh, 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 just a wonderful, wonderful time there. In fact, I got all the uh, the information, and I've, of course, forgotten it. Father Del, uh, Father Del uh, Priori, I think his name is, and uh, met his wonderful staff, Adam and, and Augustine and Krista. And this is a, a beautiful chapel on at the Newman Center, the Newman Dorm. And I was just so impressed by the piety and the, the courtesy of the young people and, and, and the chaplain, uh, just wonderful. And he has decided he's going to build a beautiful church. Well, couldn't that money be better be given to the poor? Stop for a minute and think. 
when you build a beautiful church instead of one of these churches that looks like a, a spaceship from the planet Ugly or, or a pizza hut that has been repurposed, um, when you build a truly beautiful church, it's a gift to the poor. Where else can a poor man sit next to a rich man and see something beautiful and hear beautiful music, which <laughs> we really need in church, and see a beautiful liturgy and beautiful art and architecture? Instead, you know, uh, I remember when I, I went, I was assigned to an inner city parish that was kind of run by very progressive people who really believed that there should be nothing in church but burlap, <laughs> you know, because we have to empathize with the poor. Nonsense. The church is meant to be the palace of the poor, the place where, where the beauty of God becomes accessible to, to um, um, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the beauty of God becomes accessible to the least. And and there's no distinction made between the rich and the poor. Think about that. So when you say, oh, we should build it cheaper, you know, we don't have to spend all this money on art. Well, that's not, that's not generosity. That's, that's uh, stinginess. That's being uh, cheap. And, and it's, 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 not a blessing to the poor. Uh, remember, the church is meant to be the palace of the poor. And I think in inner city neighborhoods where they have these beautiful old churches, instead of tearing them down because they're inefficient, that people should really invest in them. And I, I congratulate the, the, the staff up there at St. Augustine in, in Platteville who want to build something beautiful um, to draw people to the beauty of God. So, you know, this idea that somehow... You know, I, I once had a, a relative walk out on me as she criticized the uh, the, the splendor of Catholicism. And uh, she said, um, you know, they should be selling all that stuff and giving the money to the poor. I said, hmm, sounds like Judas. Well, she stormed out, probably reasonably so. All right, let's go to the gospel. Oh, I'm on a roll today, aren't I? <laughs> Equal opportunity insulter. Luke, the ninth chapter, the 18th verse. Uh, the, the, um, uh, uh, Jesus was praying in solitude. The disciples were with him and he asked them, why, who do the crowd say that I am? John the Baptist, others Elijah, this is one of the ancient prophets arisen. And this, I love what my father, my father, <laughs> I knew him when he was a kid. Bishop Barron said, this is the question. Who do you say that I am? That's the question of evangelism. Not who do you say that I was? Or not who you say that Christ was, or who you say that Christ is, but when Jesus through you says to someone, but who do you say that I am? Peter said in reply, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Christ of God. That's the question of evangelism. Who do you say that I am? Well, he was a great philosopher. No, he wasn't. He wasn't a philosopher. Uh, um, look at what he said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He was either the son of God or the world's greatest egotist. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The nerve. Plato and Socrates didn't say that. And they were, they were so uppity that, well, Socrates got himself killed. Well, Jesus got himself killed too, but he rose from the dead. And he, he knew this was going to happen. 
He rebuked them and directed them not to tell this to anyone. Well, he was the Messiah. Shouldn't they tell everyone? No, because I think I shared this the other day, that lots of people said, I'm the Messiah. People would run home, get a, get a sword, kill a Roman, and the streets would run with blood. He's saying, I'm not that kind. I'm not the, if that's what you think the Messiah is, I'm not that. You know, Jesus is always more than our expectation. He's more than we think him to be in our, in our individual and personal lives uh, and in the history of the world. He's, he's more. He, he's never, you're never going to exhaust the riches of that person, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, you can read his words over and over and over. And like a diamond, you turn one word and it, it glistens with a new facet. So um, who do you say that I am? And in my own life, I have to ask, who do I say that he is to me? You know, is he the, the heart and center of my life? Well, mostly, or you know, when I'm in a good mood, or when he's given me what I want, or things are going well, who do you say that I am? Well, speaking of who do you say that I am, uh, well, <laughs> I think it's time to go to Mass Hysteria, because it's at Mass that we meet him. With a cross of Santa's witness and a symbol of God's grace, in the storm we claim the faith of Jesus. All are welcome. All are welcome. Except for people who don't agree with us. Yeah, I, I was at Mass where there was, I was the, made the pastor of a parish that there was an inclusive community. They called themselves the inclusive community. This was many years ago. And I was not welcome to say the main Mass. I was not able to say it for three years. A pastor usually says, you let things go for a year, you get to know the people, and then you make the changes you think the Lord wants you to make. I couldn't do that because, well, they had their own priest and their own creed and their own. And, and uh, it was at a time in the church when there were people who backed them up. And I, I just would sit in the back. And finally, when they announced a pro-choice march, um, I said, enough is enough. This is a hill I'm willing to die on. I said, I'm saying this mass from now on. Ooh, boy, the fireworks. It was fun. But yeah, they were they were the inclusive community that wouldn't even let the pastor in. <sighs> I'm Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just complaining sour grapes. But then, no, that really happened. So, well, I was sharing yesterday about the idea that there was a messianic banquet, a messianic sacrifice. And it was the the uh, the the Korban Todah. Let me pull this up. Uh, korban is the general word for sacrifice in Hebrew, and todah is thanksgiving. So it was the korban todah, the thanksgiving offering. So, well, what was the korban todah? Um, it was an offering uh, that 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 was made uh, for one who had crossed the sea, because that was very dangerous, one who had traversed the desert, uh, very dangerous. One who was sick and became healed, uh, very dangerous. And one who had been incarcerated and became free. And uh, um, the 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 uh, um, there was a lamb that was sacrificed, and with the lamb was always sacrificed uh, bread and wine. And uh, but the important part about the korban todah. A person had to bring 40 loaves of bread, which had to be eaten along with this, this offering, this, uh, 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 um, 
uh, lamb that had been sacrificed. So this is the Thanksgiving sacrifice. And the rabbis said, we read in Talmud, uh, that, that all the sacrifices of the law will pass away when the Messiah comes. We won't need sin offerings because we won't sin. We won't need uh, um, uh, offerings of atonement. We'll be going to atone for. We, the only offering that will continue will be the Thanksgiving sacrifice. That's in Talmud. And the Korban Todah, because we will have been rescued from death when the Messiah comes. Well, guess what? Jesus was crucified, the Lamb of God sacrificed, and he was raised from the dead by the glory of God. And he conquered death. That That's when you offered offered the Thanksgiving sacrifice, when you had conquered death by drowning in the sea or starving in the desert or sickness uh, or, or dying under arrest. Uh, so, and that's why I believe that the Mass was celebrated on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. The, the, uh, uh, the, the Thanksgiving sacrifice, the Thanksgiving offering was considered a peace offering. That is a private offering on Sabbath. The morning and evening sacrifice were made for the people, but that was it. No private sacrifices on Shabbos on Saturday. So the first day of the week they could offer it was Sunday. That's I, I believe why uh, this uh, obligation of Sunday mass began uh, um, to be offered. But I say this, you know, we're talking about, uh, 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 why can't it, Sacrosanctum Concilium, uh, and explaining uh, the parts of the Mass. But before that, I want you to understand what the Mass is. The Mass is, an, is a sacrifice made to God of thanksgiving. Now, I thought it was the Passover sacrifice. Mass is not the recapitulation of the Passover sacrifice. It was offered on Passover because the Passover sacrifice was a Thanksgiving sacrifice. But if Mass were strictly and only the renewal of the Passover, we would offer it only once a year. But we offer it daily because every day his mercies are renewed. So understand that that, that the this the Mass is... The fulfillment of the thanksgiving sacrifice. And what does the word Eucharist mean in Greek? Ha ha ha. Thanksgiving. Why do we call it the Eucharist? Because that's what they called it at the very beginning. They realized that what Jesus had asked them to do at, on, on Calvary was to offer a lamb with bread and wine in thanksgiving. Hence, the Eucharist. Ta-da. So we're offering the Korban Todah, the Thanksgiving sacrifice. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I like to hear them preach it. I like to hear them pray. I like to hear them talk about the old gospel way. They read it from the Bible and they all begin to oh, shout. Oh, the good old gospel way. Welcome back we to... <laughs> My friend Father Branken calls this the, the Catholic Talmud Hour. <laughs> and, and I prefer to call it the Reverend Nodal's baptized uh, Holiness Gospel Hour, but it didn't fit on the logo. Anyway, there's... 
Hello. Ah, there's the trumpet. I cut out. Oh, never mind. All right. This is someone who prefers to be anonymous. Don't we all? Uh, I taught religious ed for 13 years. First graders. Oh, that must have been difficult. The diocese approved text was less than useful. Trained as a teacher and teaching others how to teach, I came up with a curriculum that loosely followed the approved text. It focused on learning prayers and why spending as much time in church as possible. The pastor of the sacristan gave explanatory tours, opportunities to pray, and quite simply how to behave, and Bible, complete with a coloring book based on our parish church windows that I and another teacher cooked up. Lectures included real lectures, movies, music, chant, a 13th, 14th century polyphony, and yes, games, kickball. Answers were all prayers of faith related in final tests that went back to church, uh, and the students had to find the windows and tell the class about them. Thankfully, the DRA gave me full reign. The class was always out open to parents. There were always a few parents present. The DRA kept telling me about all the good comments. Apparently, the parents were learning, too, seeing the first graders in church on Sunday along with their parents rather than at Bible school during Mass. And the parents alone was my aim. Brilliant. I was most successful. That's brilliant's my comment. I was most successful with the students whose parents came to class. So keep beating the drum. Oh, I... I'm not a very original thinker, so I do keep beating the old drums. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing, especially for kids that age. You know, a long lectures on theological disputes in the 16th century really doesn't uh, interest uh, children. Uh, but telling the story in the stained glass windows, that's why they're there, so that they can tell the story. And children love stories. You know, I think I was brought into the faith, oddly enough, by the uh, the manger uh, under the Christmas tree. I mean, I came from a family that was fairly devout. They weren't they weren't nuts, but they were devout, and we practiced our faith regularly, and often did go to daily mass. Um, said the rosary, not that was what you did in the fifties. It was not exceptional for a Catholic to do those things in the fifties. The, yes, the voice in my head asked me if I watched Leave It to Beaver. Yes, and but my mother did not wear pearls when she cleaned the house, nor did my father, who did a lot of the cleaning, Germans, you know. But where was I? The So, uh, you know, I was allowed to play with these, these you know, as a five-year-old kid under the Christmas tree. It wasn't, don't touch that. It's just to look at. No, it was, and it was very old and very beat up, but it just to see it intrigued me and to hear the story of of the manger and and all that sort of thing that that looking at the stained glass windows or seeing what's in the church learning how to behave in church when you're in first grade religion class i want to compliment this anonymous person and wish i could share his name in his diocese but i'm not going to do that and music little kids with 13th and 14th century polyphony yeah it's beautiful, and kids kids have an instinct for beauty. They really do. It doesn't get beat out of us until we're grown up. You know that that I think so much of the, the of the of the flight to tradition of young people is because there's an instinct to beauty, and the world gives us so much ugly. Really, okay, that's just my theory. Offer beauty to children, and they will gravitate right toward it. Real beauty. I th at least that's my my brief experience. Okay, I got one here. Oh, this is from my friend Claudine in Los Angeles. Um, uh, mass for the dead. Please explain why and how the funeral mass is for the dead. Didn't Jesus die for our sins? Very confusing. Jesus died in obedience to the Father. 
I mean, Jesus' first motivation, believe it or not, wasn't us. It was to please the Father. And so this idea of Jesus died for me, well, yes, he did. But he primarily died in trust for his Father. And his final words, practically, were, Into your hands I commend my spirit. And the, 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 I love to talk about Roy Shulman, uh, who's a, a convert from Judaism to, to Catholicism, and is very much very Jewish, and his books are wonderful. His conversion story is, uh, he writes a wonderful book, Salvation is from the Jews, and uh, uh, his conversion story is wonderful in, I think it's Honey from the Rock, in which the Lord allowed him to see through the veil that separates our world from the real world. That is the spiritual world, which is more real than this all too tangible world. And that's what goes on at mass. You know, that, that uh, there's an old contemporary Christian song that heaven is just a breath away or heaven is just a stone's throw away. It's about the martyrdom of Stephen. We're very close to heaven. And at mass, we stand at heaven and the offering of the sacrifice of the mass, which is the representation of the one and only un uh, the one and only sacrifice of Calvary. It isn't a, a, a redoing. You know, Christ is not killed again uh, at mass. We enter into a time machine that takes us back to Calvary, because for God, as I'm tell you every other day, all places are here. All, mo all times are now. It takes us back to Calvary and it takes us to the final judgment and to the, the wedding of the Lamb uh, uh, at the end of time. We're at all those places and all those times every time we go to Mass. And I really recommend to you The Veil Removed on YouTube. It's a short film about the Mass. Be careful because I think if you, if you plug in those words, you can get to odd places but the veil the veil removed the movie youtube it's about 15 minutes and it's what's really going on at mass and so when we offer mass for the repose of the soul of of someone who has died and we're hopeful that they are not dead but that they are alive in christ because the only real death is is sin uh we stand with them at the judgment seat of god and we offer them our support and we remind them of the sacred words of Jesus. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. That as they stand before the throne of God, the Mass is a statement with them that they are utterly dependent on the grace of God and not their own merits. So that's what Calvary's about. Into your hands I commend my spirit. It's that God will receive us if we ask him to. And so that's what we do. We, we stand with that person at the judgment seat of God and we ask that the Lord receive them. It isn't to console us. It isn't to make us happy or feel better despite the fact that we have lost a loved one. It is to say we are standing with them and we're trusting God. That's what it is. So yes, that's how and why the funeral mass is for the dead. Uh, because the dead who die in Christ, the scriptures say, uh, are not dead. So, uh, yes, Jesus Jesus died for our sins, but he died primarily in obedience to the Father. And I think we need to remember that. All right, that's just my thoughts on it. And he did die once and for all. Okay, now let's see here. I think I might have to go to the... Oh, don't tell me the other computer. 
pooped out on me. Come on, computer. Yeah, of course it did, um, because I have my other letters on that. Well, okay. Ah, no, 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 didn't. Well, I think, let me see if I've got uh, uh, more here in this particular computer. Nope, I don't. So that means we're going to go to a break. We'll come back from the word of the day and open up the, the, the phones at 888-914-9149, We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. Do, 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 Life could be a dream. Cool. Oh, this brings me back to my long-distant childhood, etc., etc. Et so, well, all right. Let's let's go to uh, the word of the day. Well, there's so many lovely words in the first reading, like Shaltiel and Zerubbabel and and. Uh, 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 Jehozadak, but none of those, none of those. The word of the day that I'm interested in is the, well, a few words, the 4 and 20th day of the 11th month of the second year of Darius. And of course I pulled it up and now have lost it. Oh no, here it is. Um, the 4th and 20th day of the 11th month in the second year of Darius is mid-January to mid-February 519 B.C., exactly five months after the building of the temple was resumed and two months after Haggai's last prophecy. So when is this happening? Um, it's happening um, right after the, the house is being rebuilt, the you know, the house of the Lord and... Uh, 519 BC. The point that I may I want to make with this is this is not made up stuff. This is history. These things happened. And and we should we should realize that we are an historical religion. We're not just a mythology about once upon a time in a land far away. No, you can get on a plane and go there and it happened exactly this time ago. And uh people who say that the Bible isn't history, well, they know neither the history nor the Bible. That said, let us go to callers. Eight eight eight. Oh, there we go. You can call in at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Who we got? Who we got? Bob from Pennsylvania, are you with us? Yes, sir. Hello. Yes, what can I do for you, Bob? Okay. The uh, issue of abortion. Oh yeah, I can hear you. Is, uh, excuse me. Yeah, go on. Me. I'm listening. Okay, please the issue continue. Of I'm listening. Is becoming a real stickler in our family, my, between myself oh, and my wife. She mm -hmm. uh, kind of believes everything that the um, the culture says about abortion. You know, it's it's not a baby; it's a blob mm -hmm. of cells and. Uh, and uh, we really differ on that now. I used to be in her court, really. I used to believe what she believed. But uh, about 15 yeah. years ago, I became a Catholic, and, and I really learned the truth since then. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. with this, all, this, all the abortion that's been in the news about the, uh, the law that was passed in Texas and all that, not that we ever talk about it, but uh, 
I only really listen to relevant radio now, and if that uh, comes mm-hmm. on, she has a problem with that. She calls it irrelevant radio, and and yeah. uh, that's about it in a nutshell. You, you know, a prophet in his own home um, doesn't work. Jesus said that. And so I, I, I think you just have to understand that grace brought you to this awareness and, you know, and uh, in a sense, agree to disagree. It, does, it sounds like she's really upset about your faith uh, and does not share it. Um, yeah, well, she, to be honest with you, she, I was, think, she was born and raised Catholic. She went to Catholic school for nine years. Uh, we got married in the yeah, Anglican yeah. church, and we were Anglicans for probably 30 years. And then um, I, I talked to her. I said, I think I want to become a Catholic because um, nothing's changed in 2,000 years in the Catholic church. And you can't say that about any other Christian religion. Yeah, yeah. Things appear to change, but they really don't in the Catholic church. We, we, a doctrine's a doctrine. But, yeah, the... Um, I think all that you can do is trust God and trust grace uh, to touch your life. And uh, um, if she begins to needle you on this, just say, "Honey, you know I love you." And that's that's all you that's all you want to say. It might make her mad, but that's what I would do. And and I would just really storm heaven for her her um, uh, her salvation. May I ask how old she is? I pray for her. I pray for her every day. Yeah, how old is she now? May I ask? Sixty-six. She's sixty-six, so she's a few years younger than I am, and she went to all these Catholic things, and it didn't nine stick. Years well, of the thing school. is, we went, yeah, nine years of Catholic school, which, uh, to be quite honest, uh, that was a little younger than I was, and that was at kind of the, the height of the storm of of uh, progressivism, and. Uh, you know, it's just I know so many Catholic parents who grieve that they that they paid so much money and their kids rejected the faith. So, you know, I think you can blame some very poor catechesis for her current position and forgive her, leave her off the hook in a way. But, you know, when Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, he I always tell you that uh, he meant that we were going to be the bait. So you just have to be the best tastiest worm. Uh, on the hook, be the best husband you can be, and when she wants to launch into you for your your Neolithic uh, caveman faith of traditional Catholicism, just say, "Honey, I love you," you know, and 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 don't engage with her on that. You know, let her spend. I, that that's the best recommendation I can make, uh, because as you say, a prophet in in his own home is not acceptable. But if you if you react with love and real kindness to her and real, uh, you know, true husbandly warmth, eventually she's going to see what the faith has done in your life and come to a deeper appreciation of faith. Because when we can't speak Christ, we have to be Christ. And, you know, we are duty bound to let people, even our closest relatives, know where we stand. But you've done that. And right now you need, as I say, to be Christ uh, because speaking Christ hasn't worked for her. And I will keep you in my prayers. It's a tough thing uh, because, you know, I always paraphrase uh, Abraham Lincoln. If if slavery, he said, if slavery is not wrong, then nothing is wrong. And I would say if abortion is not wrong, nothing is wrong because abortion is slavery. It's to say that another person's body belongs to me and I may do with it what I please. Um, and and uh, um, 
that's heinous. The, the idea that my body belongs to another person other than the Lord, and in the condition of marriage, our bodies belong to our spouse. However, that said, uh, um, you know, that, that uh, I think the sacrament of the left is abortion because uh, if abortion is not wrong, nothing is wrong. And that's exactly what they want, for nothing to be wrong and uh, to have complete license. So, but you can't say that. Um, I think that uh, we're in a very dangerous position uh, because when we reject children, we reject God. And, and uh, it's a shame that your wife was convinced, despite years uh, and uh, great expense in Catholic education, that uh, she doesn't she doesn't believe what the church holds and teaches. So I'll, I'll be praying for you, Bob. And uh, it's tough, but you know, grace is what's given. This is the woman God gave you, and uh, uh, he gave her to you for a reason, probably to bring her to the fullness of faith. So, uh, as I say, I'll be praying for you. God bless you. Who have we got on the line now, dear voice in my head? Melissa from California. Are you with us, Melissa? I am. Good. What can I do for you? Thank you for taking my call. I do have a question, and it does go along with what you were just talking about, but not about abortion. My husband is Jewish just mm -hmm. recently, and I am Catholic. Mm -hmm. Just he recently? He just became a Jew? He just became Jew, yes. He, we were married in the hmm. church. He was born and okay. raised Catholic. So that's a separate So he's left the Catholic issue. faith and become Jewish? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And... So with that, the question is, am I making him sin by having him around my pictures of Jesus, my statues of Jesus, my pictures of Mary? Of course not. Said, okay. Of course not. Yeah, I mean, okay. you've, you've made a decision of conscience, and let's hope he made a decision of conscience. I can't conceive of... Of losing, you know, we believe that we're the fulfillment of of the Old Testament, and he's kind of rejected the fulfillment and gone back to the 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 practice of Judaism. And there's a lot of things in the faith that that are very similar to to Judaism. They're not. I always say it's a different faith, not a different religion. Uh, mass reflects so much that that. There's so much Jewish in the Mass. I wonder if he's noticed that, like the Holy Holy and the Lamb of God. and all These are all very Jewish ideas. The Our Father is a very good Jewish prayer, Rabbi Lefkowitz would say to me. But um, that is that's a very difficult thing. And um, he's rejecting who he is. Uh, you know, I think his discovery of Judaism may well be a rejection of his own upbringing. And uh, to me, that's kind of sad. Uh, that he is looking at, at who he is and saying, I don't want to be who I am anymore. Um, no, you've got a conscience, and these these uh, symbols of your religion are important to you, and and uh, you'll tolerate the symbols of religion that he brings into the house. There's absolutely no prayer that I know of, and I often would go to, to synagogue on a Friday night. I know of no prayer that a Jew can pray, to which a Christian cannot say amen. There's the Shmune Esra, which uh, condemns heretics. They're thinking about us, but eh, I I can say amen to that without thinking about us. That's as close as it comes. Um, the, the, the 13 blessings. Um, uh, but no, there's, you know, a mezuzah, 
If he wants to put a mezuzah on the door, fine. It's just quotes from scripture. So we reverence everything that the Jews reverence uh, and more. So, um, no, you're not, you're not causing him to sin uh, because those things are not sinful. They're permitted since the coming of the Messiah. Does that help? I, I hope it does. It was his, it's his question. So I'm going to... Yeah, no, no, that, that, uh, you know, well, I'll I'll address him directly then. Just understand, you've made a decision of conscience. Your wife has a conscience, too. If you expect her to respect your conscience, you respect her conscience. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't uh, look at the Getchkalas. That's what the Jews call our, our religious images, the Getchkalas, which means the little gods. Uh, You know, to me, this is a reminder of my, my family, the saints, and, uh, 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 you've got a conscience, I've got a conscience. I'll respect yours, you respect mine. That's what I would say to him. And if he's not willing to uh, respect your conscience, it's time for marriage counseling. So uh, there you go. Hope that helps a little. God bless you. And you you. can have him listen to this on the app. And if he's got any questions, write in a call in, because I'd be happy to talk to him. All right. Thanks much. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? You're welcome. God bless you. I'll be praying for you. It's got to be tough. What can I do for you? Uh, No, uh, who or what? Jim. Jim from New Jersey. Are you with us, Jim from New Jersey? Yes, I am, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I had a question. Um, what can I do for you? Thing, and I don't remember exactly where in the Bible, maybe on the Matthew, where Jesus says, don't pray like the heathen do. Don't just repeat things without the emotion and effort into it. And my question is, it seems like when we're sometimes saying prayers at Mass or saying prayers like the Rosary or the Litany of the Red and all they're doing is kind of repeating the same thing over and over again and sometimes it becomes a little bit behind them uh, I hate yes. to say but um, so yes. don't have, there seems to be a dichotomy there can you please explain that and also can you tell me how the sure. Litany of the Red became to be part of the Rosary say that again how what became part of the Rosary um uh, the Litany of Loretta that's usually said, you know, by Father Rocky on the weekends. I've never heard of that before. Oh, it's up, it's so it's not part of the rosary. Thing. It's not. No, it's not part of the rosary. It's in adi- in addition to the rosary. So Father Rocky prays it because it's in addition to the rosary, and it's a beautiful prayer. But let me get back to the original question. I think that you're um, talking about Matthew the sixth chapter, which. Uh, um, uh, um, says, do not be like the hypocrites, not the, not the heathens, the hypocrites. And the word hypocrite in Greek means play actor. Don't be like a play actor. They love to stand praying in the synagogues when you want to pray in a way that everybody, my goodness, are you religious? I just listened to all those prayers you're saying. Wonderful. And then he says, when you go pray, go into your inner room and pray to your father uh, who is unseen. And then verse 7, when you pray, do not babble on like the pagans. Uh, for they think that by their many words they will be heard. Now, what's going on there? Uh, the 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 idea of of uh, uh, babbling on was was um, uh, um, very common in the ancient world. You see, they really believed that demons caused all the problem there there was. Uh, um, that that. Um, uh, you would have traveling exorcists among the Greeks, among the Romans, among the Jews, 
and they would develop these long lists of demon names because the thing was, if you could name a demon bigger than the demon that was infecting your patient, it would scare the smaller demon away. So these were almost like trade secrets, and they would have all these these words and all these magical formulas. She says, "Don't do that. That 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 in the sincerity of your heart, uh, pray, and your father will hear you." That's different than than uh, the litanies. You see, Jesus prayed litanies. Uh, one in particular, which is uh, a psalm which was prayed at Passover, for his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. Jesus, the Bible says, walked out of the Last Supper singing that psalm. And he walked down the steps. Uh, there's, a, there's a street in Jerusalem that, that, that goes back to the time of Christ that are steps that lead down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I can just picture Jesus walking down those steps, repeating to himself, and singing to himself, For his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. Ki laolam chazdu. Ki laolam chazdu. Ki laolam chazdu. Reminding himself that his father loved him even though he was going to death. That's a litany. Jesus repeated those things, not because he wanted to be heard, but because he wanted to hear God. And when we repeat those prayers, it's like like a husband saying to his wife over and over, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's not that's not uh, uh, repeating so that I can be heard. It's it's repeating so that I can express myself in love to you. And by the rosary, by the litanies, we place ourselves in the presence of God. It isn't so that we'll be heard. It's so that we'll hear God. It almost is the opposite. Uh, you know, litanies, litanies go back to the earliest days of the church. You shouldn't say a litany thinking that in many words you will be he- heard. In other words, more is not better than less. More is is just more. You know that that uh, you know. I don't know any any wife who tires of hearing her husband say "I love you," provided he really does love her. Um, and is not just trying to get out of something, but uh, uh, that 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 um, uh, she heard the first time. <laughs> I'm reminded of a joke: the old, the old uh, 50th anniversary, an old uh, farm couple in Minnesota, and and uh, Norwegian couple, and she says on the 50th anniversary, "You never say I love you." And I told you on the wedding day, when I changed my mind, I'll let you know. So, you know, that's not how we do it. We, 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 we say this over and over again because we just gotta, because we love. So it's different. It isn't so that we're heard. It's so that we can, we can constantly be in the presence of the Lord. I hope that helps a little. Uh, um, yeah, for so, clearing up that passage, I didn't understand it properly. Yeah, it's it seems to be a reference to to the 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 the, the weirdness of of but you do meet Christians who who somehow think that that uh, more is better and we won't be heard until we get a certain number. No, we're persistent in prayer. That's another idea uh, in Scripture. It's it's a little complicated, but we repeat prayers so that we can be fashioned into the prayer that we're praying. And speaking of being fashioned into the prayer we pray and uh, wonderful litanies, we have the Divine Mercy Chaplet coming up with Drew. And believe me, that's a prayer worth praying over and over and over again.